0: Hello, you guys, and welcome back to Sunday Questions, a podcast. I am still the one and only host of this podcast, and I'm still sitting alone in this studio. But I wanted to say, first and foremost, hello. If you're new, if this is your first episode listening, I should probably introduce myself. My name is Kayleen. I was actually listening to Kelsey Kreppel's podcast, which I've been so obsessed with lately. It's called Circle Time and she was saying that she was listening to a podcast where the host said that it was like kind of cringe to introduce yourself and say the name of your podcast in the opening but I'm most certainly not above that so I will continue to be introducing myself every episode regardless of how far this goes. Anyway happy Monday. I wanted to say first and foremost thank you guys so much for the feedback on the episode that came out yesterday the interview with my mom Not only did it make me feel really, really great about the conversation we had, but it made my mom so happy. You guys have no idea, and I know my mom's listening to this. And to see her come out of her shell in a way, not that she was really in a shell, but even she, I think, found that she was shocked by the amount of growth that was reflected in that conversation on her part and so I'm just so proud of her and we just talked on the phone for like two hours which is so nice but I'm so happy that you guys liked that episode and I had so many moms reach out to me and parents and say oh my gosh what you guys did that conversation was so brave and honestly I don't really think it was brave at all I don't think that's the word I would ascribe to it but I do think it was really amazing that we sat down and took the time to have that conversation and to share it with people so thank you guys all for writing in other than that my spring break just ended you guys devastating news and now it is a new week I had my first day back in classes and the overwhelm that I experienced this morning was immense let me just back up a little bit and tell you guys about how my day started this was a story that I will probably tell hundreds of times over the next decade of my life so I have a tendency to drive my car on empty so much so that it's like become a joke where I'll take pictures of it on empty and me driving it and I have a Mazda CX-5 which is a it's the champagne of cars and usually I trust it like I'll, I'll go pretty far on empty and then I'm like okay it's about time to get gas and it's, it's like not even a pride thing. It's honestly just like a curiosity thing. Like, wow, this thing goes far and I trust my Mazda with my life. And so this morning, I, I knew I was on thin ice when I didn't get gas yesterday when I was on empty the entire day. But I, I don't know why I just decided not to do it. And this morning at 7 a.m., my friend Emma and I were going to get coffee before practice. And so we drove to the place I get coffee every morning and got our coffee and we like are driving back and it's weirdly in this like pretty industrial part of Nashville if you've been to Nashville like it's a pretty small city but there are like weird pockets of just like super industrial kind of just like random a lot of construction and so it's in one of those neighborhoods and we're driving we stop at a stop sign and then the car just stops and I'm like oh shit Emma like the car is not starting and Emma who I don't know if Emma's was like my best friend. I don't know if you listen to the podcast though, but if Emma if you're Emma if you're in the room with us, give me a sign. Just kidding. Okay, but Emma is like me, uh very unbothered by a lot of things. And so to imagine the two of us on our way to practice, thankfully we left really early for practice, but we gave ourselves ample time that we didn't even know we would need. And then we are sitting there in the car and I'm like, "Oh my god, what do we do?" And Emma's like, "We just have to go we were on the way to the gas station. Emma's like, we have to go to the gas station. We're about like 0.3 miles away probably. Let's go to the gas station, get a gas can, and then we'll have to fill it up ourselves. I'm like, let me just make sure that this is what we should do. I'm gonna call my mom. Call my mom. Verbatim, my mom says to do the exact same thing. And so we're like, okay, deal. Throw on the hazards, lock the car, leave it where it was, which was like kind of on the side of the road on a pretty not busy street so it was fine also neither of us were really in the headspace to be too picky about where we were picking the car and then in the 27 degree weather we run down the street mind you we were doing hills unintentionally because it's like a very hilly part of the city in this neighborhood and so we run to the gas station we cross a really busy road and we got our gas can We fill up the gas can, which is about two gallons, if anyone hasn't ever done that. And then we go back. We are doing, like, I'm carrying these two gallons of gas up the hill and then back to our car. And that's when we start having to figure out how to get the gas back into the car. And I am among the least handy people you will ever meet in your life. I also, unfortunately, have the trait of performative helpfulness like I am helpful in ways that are in ways that cannot really be measured however when it comes time to help like moving things or building things like that's not my vibe I'm just not into it it's a horrible trait I'm working on it but I knew I was like okay well it's me and Emma like we've got to be hands-on trying to get this gas in the car and you would think it would be simpler than it actually is to get the gas from the gas can into your gas tank. And so after about 10 minutes of struggling, we were both covered in gasoline. And so we're like, you know what, let's call Emma's dad, who is an engineer. Don't know why this bright idea didn't come to us any earlier. He explains to us how to use a gas can. And then this kind man named Toby comes to our rescue. And really, he didn't do anything. He actually opened with, anyone need a lighter, which was timely and a wonderful joke that both emma and i appreciated and so toby comes out this guy just was working in enterprise like the car rental company and he was in the building over he's like yeah i saw you guys struggling and i was like they probably have a flat tire it was literally seven thirty in the morning like this is something hilarious because everyone that we ran into had like puffy eyes and clearly just woken up and so toby great guy if you're if you're listening toby we love you and then we got it figured out the first time I tried starting the car it said it was still like the battery was off or something and then did it again we were good to go still said we had no gas and we zoomed to the gas station filled ourselves up still made it to practice with time to spare had a great day I did get like weirdly anxious today because For those of you who don't know, I've had five concussions in my life and now I get really anxious when I hit my head on things and I hit my head at practice yesterday and so I was kind of having a moment. But we're all good and life is great and I think having a little bit of anxiety the past 12 to 24 hours has been helpful in me preparing for this episode. So it's really all for the podcast hustle, all the feelings that I feel. Genuinely though, every time I make a mistake or I like learn something, I'm like, this is going to be good, good content for the podcast. So those are my life updates at the moment. I am so excited about this episode because I felt like when I started experiencing anxiety, which was really acutely this past summer, was my first time dealing with genuine anxiety that was overwhelming and affecting my life. And I would look for resources and I felt like there were some that tapped into anxiety and I felt I feel like I found a lot of Instagram accounts that were helpful but looking for podcast episodes because as you guys know I listen to a lot of podcasts basically I would look for podcasts because that's my favorite medium to consume information and I kept finding that they would almost tell me what I needed or they would scratch the surface of what I needed but they wouldn't really make me feel seen or safe or comfortable in my anxiety and I found that the the times that I was having the most resonance in conversations about anxiety was when I was just talking to my friends about it, and everyone was being transparent about how they feel, how they felt the anxiety they've encountered, or someone on social media just being really honest about having anxiety or dealing with any sort of anxiety disorder or anything within the umbrella of anxiety. And I, for so long, said that I wasn't an anxious person, and I took a lot of pride in not being an anxious person. And I think dealing with anxiety over the past 8 to 12 months has been transformative for who I am as a person, how I have softened, how I approach the world, how I feel about myself in a good way, because it has taught me so much about being a supportive friend, a supportive partner, a supportive child, and also checking in with my brain and with my thoughts and getting me to a place where I feel like taking care of my mind and my heart is the most important thing I could possibly do. And so I I'm really excited about this episode mainly because it was kind of what I wish I had eight months ago when I began having random panic attacks and convincing myself that my throat was closing at random times. I experienced a great deal of confusion and anxiety about having anxiety. Like, is it going to be like this forever? And I've worked through a lot of that in therapy and I'm really grateful that I've had access to those resources. And so today I just want to share some of the things I've learned with you guys And it is a solo episode which a lot of you guys were so sweet. I got a few DMs being like, I know you always say like you're rambling or that you want to have guests on, but I just want you to know like I love when we when we when we do solo episodes because it feels like I'm just FaceTiming my friend or talking to my friend. And that is the greatest compliment because that really is how I want you guys to feel about this podcast. I genuinely love everyone who listens and it means the world to me that anyone plays this and I know I say that pretty much every time but I felt like I needed to interject there and just say how much I love you guys especially as we dive into this topic of anxiety and whether you are experiencing generalized anxiety you've been diagnosed with anxiety you feel like you have anxiety you're medicated wherever you fall on that spectrum you can learn something from this episode even if you wouldn't consider yourself an anxious person like I hadn't considered myself an anxious person but now looking back I realize that I had experienced anxiety acutely numerous times in my life although it wasn't persistent per se it was there and so learning about anxiety and learning how to cope with it and what it is and how it works and how our brains work has been the number one thing that has helped me get to the place where I am with my own experience with anxiety and depression and whatever I've gone through during my life learning about it and talking about it has been how I've gotten To where I am, to a really stable and beautiful and abundant place in my life. And so I just felt like it was the time to do this episode. I wanted to do it once I felt like I had done, honestly, ample research so that I wasn't just spewing like personal experience at you guys, because obviously that is incredibly powerful, but also you would like some stuff to back it up. And so I wanted to just start off the episode by talking about my experience with anxiety and the role that anxiety plays in my life now. And like I said, I had not been an anxious person pretty much my entire life and I experienced anxiety when I was in 5th grade, but it was more so anxiety in the form of OCD and I'll talk about OCD a little bit in this episode because I have OCD and I don't talk about it all the time. A large part of the reason why I don't talk about OCD a lot is because I feel weird not because I'm ashamed of having OCD at all but because it is so wildly misunderstood and to assert yourself as like an OCD advocate when you actually have OCD not to say that you can't have OCD and be an OCD advocate but when you have OCD it's honestly so exhausting mentally sometimes that the idea of then taking on the responsibility or feeling like you have to explain OCD and what it actually is to people is like just the cherry on top of the exhaustion. And because I had my first experience with OCD when I was like 10 or 11, I didn't realize it was OCD. Like I was diagnosed as an eating disorder. Looking back and now knowing what I know about OCD, there was absolutely obsessions and compulsions paired. And so I think that was probably my first experience with anxiety. But it didn't feel like I was an anxious person because I'm not like a worrier. And I think we often conflate worrying with being anxious and those aren't the same thing. You can be anxious and also be someone who worries a lot. But you can also experience anxiety and not be someone who worries a lot or is super on top of things. Anxiety looks different on everyone. And someone who you might think is a super anxious person maybe doesn't experience anxiety acutely. Someone who you think is the chillest person you've ever met might also experience anxiety about certain things. And so anxiety has no one look, no one pattern, and it can be really debilitating for people who are holding it inside and are incredibly internal about it. It's also just as debilitating for the people who project it onto other people because it's literally spilling out of them. And so I wanted to talk about my own experience with anxiety ranging from when I was 10 or 11 and then I felt like I never identified with the idea of anxiety because I'm very like I was saying with the gas like I'm very unbothered by a lot of things it takes a lot to evoke a reaction from me and I've I haven't always been that way so much as I am now but I've always relatively been lax with okay well it's not a crisis it's you know we can handle it it'll figure itself out I've always had that mindset and so to me I'm like oh well I'm not an anxious person and then last April I was playing in a lacrosse game and I was in like a head-on collision with another player and I sprained my UCL on my thumb but I also got a concussion and since then I've done research had conversations with my concussion specialist doctor and she's been like honestly I really think it was a very minor concussion if that and that's really reassuring for the future of my brain but also I think the trauma of being hit that hard in the head where I was already so worried about having another concussion, obviously, if you're familiar with my story about lacrosse and stepping away, a huge part of the reason why I was considering not playing lacrosse anymore was because I had gotten a really terrible concussion my freshman year of college. And so my brain health has always been extremely important to me. And getting another concussion last year was just really terrifying. And... My first panic attack that I experienced was about a week and a half after that injury happened. I had a meeting with a doctor and he was going to tell me whether or not I needed surgery. And my anxiety for me has always manifested in my throat because when I was 12 Actually, when I was 11, wow, we're really unpacking things here. When I was 10, before I developed an eating disorder, I had an allergic reaction in New York City. And I was at the Museum of Natural History. And my throat began to close, and that had never happened to me before. And so I started freaking out, and we ended up handling it. And I got Benadryl, and and it wasn't super severe at all. But I was so freaked out by this moment of not being able to breathe and feeling like I couldn't swallow, And so that was kind of the beginning of like my experience with having anxiety manifest in my throat. And I remember I've always had anxiety about like allergies and anxiety about Things relating to food, obviously, I think it takes a little bit of anxiety at the very least around food to develop an eating disorder. And so I felt like I was experiencing anxiety in ways that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about. A lot of people be like, oh, I'm anxious about my safety. I'm anxious about this person not liking me. And like I said, anxiety looks so different on everyone. Like we all wear it differently. We all have anxiety for different reasons. We all experience the feeling of anxiety, even if it's momentary, not persistent, we all experience anxiety. And I think once I had that first allergic reaction, it was the first time that my sense of stability and safety in my own body was really challenged by just the circumstances that I was put in by eating something that my body didn't agree with. And I then experienced a pretty long period of anxiety around food. And when I kind of came out of that, when I was like 14 or 15, I felt like I really wasn't anxious. Like I had very little anxiety about school or friends or lacrosse or food and I just was very kind of cruising and then my senior year of high school I began experiencing that anxiety around food again and I was still drinking at the time and that was only adding to that anxiety and the feelings of depression and dread that I was experiencing and guilt and shame and a number of things that I was really piling on when I was a senior in high school that was like one of the hardest times of my life other than freshman year of college so they were kind of coupled but I experienced some anxiety then but I still wouldn't have called it anxiety like I I wouldn't have said it was debilitating it didn't change my life it didn't take away from my life really and uh, then I went through the beginning of college and I think I was because I was depressed when I began college and was experiencing eating disorder and also just so you guys know when you guys have this permission like I wasn't expecting to talk this much about my mental health experience and if it's really heavy please press pause and don't keep listening. This is vulnerable for me to tell you guys all of this. But also like, I don't really care. I want you guys to know. Because if one person listens to this and they're like, shit, I needed to hear that or that makes me feel less alone, then I'm glad. But I just wanted to say, I recently have realized how heavy it can be to hear someone's story. And it's not, you're not a bad person for not wanting to hear it. Like skip to the end and we'll all talk about anxiety. But I wanted to just say that, my experience with anxiety, my experience with depression, my experience with disordered eating, OCD. If you're like, shit, this isn't making me feel good, this isn't productive for me, skip it. You don't need to listen to it. Honestly, I'll be the first one to tell you that. So back to the drawing boards. I briefly experienced anxiety at different points in my life. It was never something I was worried about. It was never something that I was like, I'm so anxious. I need to go see a doctor, never any of that. The only thing that really got me into therapy was depression and that was as a result of things that created some more anxiety for me just around people, around my body, around food, around a number of things. And that anxiety was kind of humming very lightly throughout my life and I didn't name it as anxiety. And then when I got this concussion about a year ago, it was so jarring because it was like my worst fear was hitting my head again or or getting into an accident in which my mental stability could be affected. And it was so terrifying when I hit my head and had that collision. And the first panic attack I had was in a doctor's office about a week and a half after when I was finding out whether or not I had to get surgery on my thumb. And I was so terrified of the idea of staying in Nashville for the summer because I had all of these amazing plans that I had been looking forward to that I literally convinced myself that the smoothie bowl, which mind you, I eat smoothie bowls almost every day, So I'm very much not allergic to them. I convinced myself the smoothie bowl I had eaten was giving me an allergic reaction. I had eaten it like three hours before. I was in the doctor's office and I'm like, mom, I need you to leave. And my trainer was there. My mom was there. I was like, mom, I need you to go get Benadryl. I really need Benadryl. And uh, I have some crazy Benadryl stories that I can tell on the podcast. And I know my friends listening to this are going to text me about it, which is funny. That's totally for another day. Very much not the same beat as this, but I digress. I was sitting there fully convinced I was having an allergic reaction and I was going into anaphylactic shock and that my throat was closing and then my mom and my trainer like all right Kayleen calm down like you're gonna be okay I think you're okay drink your water you're fine and I was like freaking out and then the doctor came in within 30 seconds of touching my thumb he was like you don't need surgery you're fine to do whatever you want this summer and I was completely fine after that I was like oh well that's fine And, and I was like wow I can't believe I thought my throat was closing and my trainer and my mom were like, yeah, I think you just had a panic attack. And I absolutely did. I thought I was dying for a second. But that would actually not be the first time that I had a panic attack that summer. So this past summer, I had panic attacks like every few weeks at first. And then to the point where I'd have panic attacks like four days a week. And I was when I was very off by them. But they were almost subtle in how they presented to other people. Like, other people wouldn't really realize I was panicking or thinking that my throat was closing. And it happened all the time. So much so that I actually brought Benadryl everywhere this summer. And everything I ate, I would take Benadryl after. And my friends and I would make jokes about it that I was, like, Benadryl dependent. But looking back on it right now, I, like, actually could cry. And I could probably cry right now talking about this because I was so anxious this past summer and a lot of it I've now learned was a result of hitting my head again and when you experience trauma like that it is very natural to have anxiety come up and it's like a trigger for a lot of things and even talking about it now I like want to give my summer self even though it's the same a lot of the same version of me is is her I want to give her like the biggest squeeze right now because I've done enough work now with this anxiety that I know my throat was never closing and it was always just anxiety and it was just panic but I was so afraid in those moments and I was so disheartened by the fact that I was having that anxiety because I think when you experience mental health challenges and you come out of it on the other side the most discouraging thing is to go through something again and the one thing that I have learned from going through things not once twice to however many times I have been in a dark place I now know and I trust the fact that it is so temporary and you're always going to come out of it and it doesn't mean you're never going to experience any other mental obstacles again but it does mean that you're going to be safe and there's going to be days when you look back on it like I'm looking back on it right now and you see it for what it was because in the moment it is so consuming and I'm really really glad that I'm recording this right now because even just the thought of the fact that I had to bring Benadryl everywhere and I would panic if I didn't bring Benadryl and then I would take it after every meal and so half the time I was like asleep this summer and transparently you probably couldn't tell any of that from my Instagram and so I am just really really grateful right now that I have this audience to trust and chat with about these things and I hope that if any of that resonated with you like there's a good chance I go back and edit this and I'm like what the fuck was I saying I was not stringing coherent sentences together but truly that was my first experience with anxiety was this past summer and I mean like anxiety is so bad that come August I was having heart palpitations every single time I ate and felt like I couldn't eat because my heart would race every single time I consumed food. I stopped drinking coffee which for me is like devastating because it's my favorite thing ever and I was drinking decaf and making all these changes in my life and I felt like I had lost so much of myself to my anxiety. And I don't even want to say, I don't even want to claim it, my anxiety, I don't want to claim it at all, to anxiety i felt like i lost myself because i was so afraid of getting back into a place where i felt like i would have to work my way up again but now that i've done it i'm like really i don't i'm not wishing any mental obstacles upon myself but i now know that to have a mind free of turbulence is that is like the that is zen and frankly i don't need to be there to be at peace i don't need to be zen to be at peace. I don't need my mind to be silent. In fact, I would much rather it not be silent because I, coming out of this eight-month kind of period of anxiety and, and this is not to say that I don't experience anxiety at all anymore. Like I would, like I said this morning, I was anxious. Understanding, and this is a big part of what I want to talk about today, is like I'm not my thoughts. I am the one who witnesses them. And secondly, I'm not meant to believe every thought that I have and neither are you. Like we're not... Meant to believe every thought that we have and I think that at my least anxious period in life which was like two summers ago that I was really believing that and I was leaning into it and my thoughts were something I was genuinely so curious about and not something that I believed was a functioning reflection of who I am as a person. I understood that my brain was just trying to keep me alive and so if I had any feelings or thoughts that were strange or scary I was like, oh, well, that's just my brain doing its job. And, and then I think I lost sight of that after getting my fifth concussion because it was just scary. And that's natural. Like, head trauma is a big deal. And I don't fault myself or anyone who experiences trauma for letting that challenge their sense of stability in the world or their sense of security in the world. That is what trauma does, whether it's little T or big T. And it's a natural reaction. So that's kind of my experience with anxiety more generally, and that felt like it got more vulnerable than I was expecting it to get, but I'm more than fine with that, and I hope it's helpful. But I didn't want this to be like me telling you guys a sob story about anxiety. I just wanted it to be me telling you, because this is the first time I've really talked about anxiety and transparently been like, yep, I was anxious this past summer. It was really hard. I was diagnosed with OCD in August, which I think I talked about with a lot of I think I talked about on my Instagram but I am so here to talk to anyone about any of those things and I'm really excited to get into the bulk of the episode because I know we're like half an hour in but this was the necessary introduction in order to frame and hopefully build some credibility on my part for the rest of the episode and so the things that have helped me with my anxiety number one learning to recognize what makes me anxious and figuring out the root of that anxiety but not psychoanalyzing it so deeply that I am making myself feel like my brain is running amok and my thoughts are running amok and that my I have no control over how I live my life but I have done work and this has been through a lot of therapy to learn to recognize what makes me anxious like is it not sleeping enough is it Hanging out with certain people? Is it surrounding myself with certain crowds? Is it behaving a certain way? Is it eating this certain thing or this particular way? Is it spending too much time on my phone? Is it posting things that don't actually align with me or accepting deals that make me feel like I'm exploiting my own platform? Whatever it is, there's so many things that cause people's anxiety and figuring out what the things are that kind of trigger you. I'm not saying like your triggers are going to point to any one thing or answer any one question for you, but it's good to know. Because the one thing that I think has also really helped me, I'm going to keep saying the one thing, know that there are like 20 things. There is not one thing, but I do tend to say that, so thank you for your patience on that. But talking about anxiety and triggers, there is a woman I follow who I actually interviewed on OCD, and she's amazing. Her Instagram is Jenna Overbaugh. She has a podcast called, I believe, all the hard things and she is amazing she's like an OCD OCD and anxiety therapist and I interviewed her for a project last semester and she was wonderful and I love her platform especially for people who struggle with OCD or uncertainty and she talks a lot about exposure and response exposure response prevention which is ERP it's like a very popular form of treatment for OCD and, and a lot of people argue it's the only thing that works Like psychoanalysis does not work for OCD and and I think pairing ERP and CBT is really helpful. But exposing myself to the things that I'm anxious about um, instead of avoiding or resisting them, like resisting those thoughts or avoiding things that make me anxious, whether it's people or certain places, like learning that a lot of your anxieties are irrational and that's something we'll make a distinction between later in the episode talking about like when is anxiety productive versus when is anxiety... Not helpful at all and very irrational and not going to move you forward. And so, exposing myself to my anxieties, even if it's as simple as like, shit, I really don't want to go into the grocery store. I'm really anxious about running into someone I know. That's exactly what I have to do then because I have to teach myself that that's not something that is productive to be anxious about and that I have no reason to be scared. And in terms of things I do now to help me with my anxiety, and I try to make a pretty comprehensive list because there's a number of things, some of them are mindsets mindset shifts. Some of them are just pieces of wisdom that I've learned. Others are like very tangible, actionable things that I do every day. And like I said, the first thing I have this in all caps is you are not your thoughts. You are the one who witnesses them. I just wanted you guys to sit with that for a second because we are... Oftentimes, identify so closely with our thoughts that we can't even decipher between who we are and who our thoughts tell us we are, and those are completely different things. They can be different things, but if you allow them to conflate into one, your thoughts are going to run the way you show up in this world. And to think of it as though, oh, I'm the one witnessing the thoughts, it's the beginning of the power of now. Eckhart Tolle says. The moment of awakening he had and the moment of enlightenment, this is one of the most arguably enlightened people in the world. And he is a thought leader for a lot of people who have experienced spiritual awakening, etc. And he says the moment he had his awakening moment was when he heard his brain go, I just can't live with myself anymore. And he's like, live with myself. Like there's two of me what do you mean there's two of us in here? And it's like, there are the thoughts happening and that's your brain, but you are the one who is hearing them. You're the one who's witnessing them. You aren't your thoughts. And if you want a book to read on that, The Power of Now is great. I actually prefer The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. That book broke down my mind like nothing else. It felt like it cracked me open and there was all this gold in there. And so I highly recommend that book. I actually would love to do like a giveaway after this episode with a few of those books so look out for that but the next one is you're not meant to believe every thought you have and this is still in all caps because it is so important and someone a resource I want to point you guys towards on this one is Byron Katie. She has been a podcast guest on Oprah Super Soul and those episodes I love she wrote a book of which the name is escaping me and she has this amazing philosophy of asking your thought, is it true? Is it really true? How do I know that it's true? Because when you start doing that to your thoughts, you are going to be perplexed at first. You're going to be like, oh shit, I don't know that it's true. I really don't. And yes, your brain, because it is a stru- an organ, it is a structure that is has a job, it has a purpose, it's trying to make sense of the world. Your brain's going to try to come up with evidence for why something's true, why it's not, and then you're going to ground yourself in the fact that you actually can't prove that either. And it sounds like it could drive you crazy, but it is actually, for me at least, the most grounding thing I have ever learned. And any time that I really find myself losing sight of how my brain functions and how to be at peace with my thoughts, I go back to that episode, and it's on my Podcast for Perspective playlist on Spotify. There's a few episodes she's done that have been really transformative. But that is my favorite piece of advice to give people about thinking because – nobody ever tells us like oh you don't have to believe your thoughts it's easy to be like oh self-talk is good give yourself good self-talk but there's a lot of thoughts that we don't choose to have they just come up like intrusive thoughts you don't have to identify with your intrusive thoughts you don't have to believe those thoughts they don't reflect who you are as a person or what you want in life they're literally just random your brain is a very random place next your thoughts are your brain trying to keep you alive They are not a functioning reflection of who you are. That's exactly what I was just saying. Our brains, like for a lot of people with OCD, they talk about like the moment your brain broke. And it's like you heard one thought or you heard something, your brain latched onto it, it planted a seed, it grew roots, and that is how really metaphorically OCD happens and how people develop it. And I think for anyone who doesn't have OCD, you're probably like, what does that mean? If you have OCD, you're like, yep, makes sense. But I wanted to make sure I emphasized the neuroscience of it all because I'm taking a class right now called Trauma, Violence, and Health and it's an amazing class and we just had a test on like brain function and different functions of different parts of our brain. Anyone who listens to this who studies brain science or brain function or neuroscience, anything within that field, knows well that our brains are this amazingly powerful computer of information but they're also just... A structure the same way my hand is a structure the same way my gut is a structure They're, these things are functioning things they have purposes and so when we act like they are when we act like they are the be-all end-all of our well-being and that our thoughts decide the rest of our life and our thoughts don't decide the rest of our life our actions do our actions do the next thing I want to talk about was reframing And in the shower this morning, I woke up with anxiety about just, like, some lacrosse-related stuff. And I had this thought that was like, oh my god, life could be so long and it's so uncertain. And I've always had an issue with uncertainty and it's something that I feel like is one of my main themes in life, like, in this lifetime is to learn about living alongside uncertainty, which I'll get into. But I reframed it immediately and I was really proud of myself because I was like, I have no idea how long I get to live this life. I could have a hundred years. I could literally have two days and I have no idea how long I get to live this life and I have no idea of all the amazing things that could happen. So I reframed that and I was listening to Kelsey Kruppel's podcast yesterday with Eli Rallo and they were talking about how Kelsey, when she was a 15 year old, could never have said, oh, I want to be a YouTuber. Oh, I want to be a podcast host. Like you can't even imagine the amazing things life has in store for you. Sure, you can give yourself anxiety about fears and things that could happen and terrible things, terrible ways your life could pan out, or you could just trust that good things are coming and that, yeah, bad things will happen too. Hard things will happen. There's always going to be challenges, but accepting like, I don't even know what the best possibility is. Like, If you had asked me, Kayleen, do you want to be a mental health advocate and a public speaker and a podcast host? when I was six I would have been like um no bitch I want to be a superstar I want to be Hannah Montana like kind of similar but (laughs) but truly I hope you guys know that anxiety is this fear about the future or this dread about the past or dread about the future and the reality is you can't even imagine the best case scenario for your life you don't even know what it is you'll you'll have it someday and then you'll go oh my god Could never have put my finger on this until I had it. Next point is getting sufficient sleep and not using artificial sleep aids. I know it was kind of a pivot because it's very tangible, but getting sufficient sleep has been, as I have talked about in every episode, even waking up with anxiety this morning, I know was a function of me getting six hours of sleep instead of nine. I'm someone who needs plenty of sleep. A lot of people need seven to nine hours of sleep, some people need ten, some people can rock with six. But figuring out how much sleep you need. And even if that's having a journal on your bedside and noting how much anxiety you wake up with after a certain amount of sleep, whether it's too much or too little, it's really productive. And then not using artificial sleep aids. I've moved away from using any sleep aid. Obviously, I told you guys about my fling with Benadryl. Don't recommend that at all, for sleeping especially, because it's not meant for that. And I also moved away from melatonin because my body is already been producing an ample amount of melatonin. My hormones are, I hope, relatively balanced, and so... I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna move away from sleep aids completely because I feel like they make me more anxious, they give me weird dreams, I don't like it. And other lifestyle things, I'm probably beating a dead horse at this point, but sobriety helps with not manufacturing anxiety, not giving you extra anxiety. I know when I was still drinking, I would always have anxiety and like anxiety about things that I did when I was drunk or things I didn't remember doing and the whole fact of having anxiety about something you don't remember happening, that's terrifying. And that kind of anxiety was not productive at all. It was just heavy. It was dreadful. If you are someone who is like, anxiety is ruling my life, and I'm still drinking or I'm still using certain drugs that make you feel shitty, make you anxious, make you do things you regret, this anxiety could actually be productive in moving you away from doing those things. It's a sign. It is like, stop doing this. Also, alcohol stays in your bloodstream for two to three weeks and causes anxiety for that whole time. So it's not like you just drink and then feel anxious for one day. Like those things compound and you're going to be more anxious day to day. I'm not telling you to stop drinking. I'm just saying that if you are someone who is like, my life is being overtaken by anxiety, I would highly encourage you to just try it out for like two weeks and just see if you feel better. And maybe you'll gain clarity and that will help too. Next, I take medication and I supplement. So I take sertraline, which is Zoloft. And it's an antidepressant, it's an SSRI, so a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And I started on Zoloft in August and I feel like I got really lucky because a lot of people go on an antidepressant and it's not the right one for them or an SSRI and it it doesn't work for them and they have to try a few. And I feel really lucky because I felt great within two months of being on Zoloft. And at the beginning I did, for anyone who's considering going on an antidepressant, I only have experience with Zoloft, but I love it, and I'm not saying to go on medication if it's not necessary, but it literally saved me from a lot of anxiety and a lot of bodily stress. Like, I was constantly having these heart palpitations, like I said, and feeling like I couldn't sleep and feeling like I would be sleeping too much, Um, and Zoloft really just helped regulate me, and it made me feel like I could be myself again, which is so nice and, like, the greatest gift. Thank you, Pfizer. And... (laughs) I do want to say when I started taking Zoloft and this happens with some things like there is an adjustment period and so it's not like you take it and within two weeks you're perfectly fine like I felt like within two months was when I started really feeling it settle in and I felt really good but when I tell you I was like actually a rock for a little bit there like I was so (laughs) not even I wasn't depressed at all like I was genuinely just so chill for the first few months I I did not shed one tear for two and a half months three months it was, it was getting to the point where it was funny. Like I ran into a wall at one point with my car and I was like, oh damn. And that's kind of just my personality, but also it was so exacerbated by the beginning stages of being on an antidepressant that it was truly comical. And I know I've like alluded to the relationship that I was in earlier in the fall and it totally affected my relationship. And I mean, I think it was a great illuminator for that relationship not being the right one for myself or for that person. And it sucked at the time because it was like I went from being super lively but also hiding a lot of my anxiety to being an emotionless rock for a little bit there. And I think it was really jarring for him, which totally makes sense. And I think it was just a learning period. Like I am grateful that my anxiety didn't keep me in that relationship i'm grateful that i was able to be like shit i'm still pretty anxious i'm still kind of a little bit emotionless because of this zoloft i'm just really chilling but i know well enough and i'm in touch enough with my emotions and who i am and what i want that i'm going to walk away from this relationship so that was that and it probably seemed tangential but taking medication for me has been a journey And it's been a great one. Like, I really do endorse it. I'm not saying to take it or to go to your doctor and say, put me on Zoloft. Like, everyone is different. But I wanted to talk about it because I feel like a lot of people are averse to going on medication when sometimes it's the best thing they can do. And I actually had a memory yesterday. I was like, oh my gosh, when I had my first concussion at Vanderbilt, my concussion doctor, who is still my concussion doctor, and she's amazing, she has the best intentions for my healthcare and and how she deals with my brain brain health but she wanted to put me on wellbutrin or cymbalta or something and I just remembered that so I didn't want to go on it at the time so I'm no judgment at all if you're like I don't want to go on anxiety or depression medication that's your decision and I'm not pressuring you to go on it or to go off of yours whatever it is do what you want do what you think feels right I think you always find the things that you need when you need them So, next, but also, I just wanted to make a point that it's literally not embarrassing at all or shameful at all to be on a medication. And I think if you're listening to this, you probably already feel that way because I feel like I tend to attract that crowd of non judgmental people who are like rocking with the Zoloft and the Lexapro prescriptions. So, if you guys are out there, I love you. Even if you're not medicated, I love you. So, I wanted to talk about supplementing. I love supplements, I also have overdone supplements during my time and I've used supplements for a number of things whether it's creating lean muscle or skincare a number of things I am always interested in seeing what I can supplement but I this past summer got really into supplementing for anxiety and I have settled on a routine of using I take a symbiotic and I actually just so that's a prebiotic and a probiotic and a postbiotic and I am really excited because I just started a new symbiotic I don't know why I just felt like I had been on seed for a long time and I wanted to see if there was any improvements if I switched I was just kind of feeling like it plateaued a little bit so I just began taking a ritual symbiotic it is amazing so far I also use their lean protein which I love but supplement wise taking a symbiotic is really helpful because your gut and your brain are interconnected obviously and so taking care of your gut health that was like the first step for me and then I take Milk Thistle, which is something a lot of people recommend for OCD in particular. And I love Milk Thistle. I'll take about 600 milligrams of it before I go to bed. And it's been great. Like The the weeks that I don't take it, if I forget to order it or if I forget to go pick it up, I feel a little bit different. Maybe it's placebo, maybe it's actually what's happening. And then I take N-Acetylcysteine, which is something a lot of people take for brain function. I know people take it for immunity as well. I think it's a pretty widely prescribed supplement. I was not prescribed these things. I was only prescribed sertraline, which is Zoloft, but I did a great deal of research based on my particular brain and what I was experiencing, and if there's something that you feel like you could change about what you're supplementing or what you're eating, I highly recommend the book This Is Your Brain on Food by Dr. Uma Du, who I've actually been lucky enough to ghostwrite for because she worked really closely with my buddy Green. And she has this book. It's amazing. It's really easy to read. It's very simple, informative. You don't have to read every chapter. You can read a chapter about the mental challenges you're experiencing. But it talks about like what foods might be causing anxiety or it talks about what foods to avoid or supplements to avoid, or supplements to implement if you're experiencing OCD or depression or anxiety, an eating disorder, orthorexia, I think there's a bunch of things in there that she talks about, and how the food you're eating impacts your brain is critical to my own philosophy on how I view my brain and how I view my wellness, and so that was something I wanted to talk about and recommend, and then the other supplement that I have used before is a hemp CBD, if you're curious about those things, I know hemp CBD is legal everywhere, as far as i know it's called the rain cloud repellent by hoorah and it's a good option when i was having panic attacks in the summer i began using that and it was helpful like i i would use it just to calm myself down pretty subtle like it's not like you're getting any sort of high it's not weed it's not thc it's hemp it's cbd you're perfectly fine using that if you're comfortable but that was something that i loved and i love that product and people like rave about it next on things i do i love and i love 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 this people will tell you that I shower like three times a day I love showering because it resets your nervous system and I'll always do a hot shower into a freezing cold shower because when you're under the freezing cold shower it's almost like a mental reset because you can't really think of anything other than the cold water and it just shifts your focus and kind of presses the restart button on your brain for the day which I love next I love journaling the things that I'm doing on the day to day when I have consistent good days like anxiety free days or minimal anxiety days I love journaling, oh, look, or if I'm just genuinely so happy and content and I feel comfortable in my body and feeling really good about life, I'll journal like, oh, what am I doing right now? That's different than maybe what I was doing six months ago when I didn't feel this way. And I found myself keeping this, like, mental log. I actually do need a better – do a better job of writing it down. But finding a, keeping a mental log of like, oh, wow, when I was doing really well, I was doing this. Like I was going on walks or I was listening to this podcast or I was spending more time with this person. Like how can I incorporate those things into my life now if I know that they are things that help me live my best life? So along with that, journaling the things I'm doing, I also take mental notes of the things that inflame my anxious thoughts and feelings. And I talked about that earlier of taking note of like, am I having more anxiety when I hang out with this one group? Am I having anxiety when I say these things or talk about this one topic am I having anxiety when I watch this show or listen to this podcast whatever it is like figuring out the things that inflame that anxiety is it food is it people is it patterns in your life is it things you're doing is it things you're procrastinating figuring out those things and and getting ahead of them and saying like I am literally so much bigger than my little teeny weeny anxiety that I could step on even though it feels so big and scary that's powerful like that's powerful as a person to be like I could hold my anxiety in the palm of my hand and I could squash it and get ahead of it and it doesn't mean it's not there but it means I'm the one deciding how I feel not my anxiety or I could let it feel like it is literally wrapping me in the most uncomfortable suffocating hug of all time next and this is something that every OCD specialist will tell you is critical to living with OCD and having a fulfilling life and not living in your head it's just living to live alongside uncertainty and something that really helped me with this is like and this is kind of also just an episode for people with fear for people who experience fear but there are some things and I want you right now to think about the things that you're anxious about Whether it's school or whether it is your relationship or your identity or health or your success or whether or not people like you, there are a number of things we could go on and on about the things that we care about, right? Because we are anxious about the things that we care about because the places that we have anxiety are the areas of our life that we feel like are so high stakes that we can't tolerate uncertainty in those areas and for people with OCD like the subtypes that people experience it's like everyone in the OCD world talks about how subtypes don't matter and and it really just OCD latches on to the things you value the most and that's why it's so upsetting to experience it and hearing it explained that the reason you have anxiety about that one thing is because it's so important to you that you believe it's high stakes and it's Because it's so high stakes, it tells your brain like we literally cannot tolerate uncertainty in this one area. So we need to make sure that we're safe. We need to make sure that we're right, that we're secure. And that just leaves you ruminating. It leaves you anxious. It leaves you confused. It leaves you feeling like your brain and your thoughts are running, your day are running, your feelings are running, your nervous system. And I know that your brain does run your nervous system don't worry guys but it feels like it's dominating like your thoughts are the ones running your nervous system and they're defining your day and when they define your day for years they define your life and like what the fuck is that we're not gonna have any of that we're moving away from that right now and I wanted to say that because I want you to have a great deal of compassion for yourself right now about the things that make you anxious whatever it is because it means you care about that thing And it means your brain, because you care about that thing or because that thing is important to you or because it's been important to you in the past or you believe it will be important to you in the future, your brain has told itself, we need to make sure that we have every ounce of certainty about it. And so instead of taking action because your brain is a little structure inside your skull and it can't actually physically do anything, your brain just thinks and thinks and thinks. And really the only thing that's actually going to change anything about the things you value is action. I could have the thought, what if I ran into that wall full speed right now? Doesn't mean I'm going to run into the wall full speed, does it? I could say, what if I jumped up on this table? Like these are just intrusive thoughts. What if I jumped up on this table and screamed right now? I could do it, but my actions are different than the thought. If the thought says jump up on the table, I have the control to say, um, no, no. That's weird, not doing that. And I think sometimes we just get so in our heads that we're like, oh my God, my brain is telling me this, it's telling me this. Like Your brain, don't give it too much credit because a lot of what you're hearing from it are the thoughts. And those thoughts are then dictating how you feel and then they're reinforcing the anxiety you're feeling. I keep saying hopefully that made sense because I do feel like this is getting a little bit convoluted because I'm not an expert and I'm really passionate about this, but I also just don't really know everything about anything. So the next piece of anxiety advice that I wanted to give was something that I find with a lot of people, this is like a source of their anxiety. And this is what helps me is being intentional with the things that I say. Like, do the things that I say align with me? And basically, the question is like, am I living in integrity? Because not living integrity inherently creates anxiety because you constantly feel like you're about to get in trouble or someone's about to hate you or you're insecure in your life in some way. And being intentional with the things that I say ensures that I'm not going to lay in my bed at night running through situations and being like, wow, I didn't show up as the person I wanted to show up as. Like, say things that are true to you. And even one of my friends the other day, I thought this was really funny and really useful. She said something and then seconds later was like, um, never mind, actually I didn't mean that. It made me really anxious. I got really anxious after I said that, so I didn't mean it. And I was like, that's amazing that you just identified that in the speed at which she identified it was was very impressive. But also it's just amazing to know like when you say something that aligns with you it it will feel right and when you say something especially like gossipy or something that's a little bit out of pocket if you say that and it doesn't align with you there's a good chance that it's not something that you probably want to be saying again or it's probably a sign coming from somewhere within you whether it's your brain or your soul or your heart being like we don't like that. Please don't do that again and it's good to know and obviously there's kind of like the anxiety of saying something that isn't true, like the anxiety of lying, the anxiety of showing up as someone who isn't authentic to you. But also, there's like, I guess, the feeling we would call anxiety of when we're being vulnerable. And I think that's something different. And I think a lot of you guys are probably very good at identifying that of saying, like, oh, if I'm like, yeah, wow, I've been having a really hard year and that's true to me, but it creates some anxiety within me. That anxiety is not anxiety about living in integrity with what I'm saying, that anxiety is about being vulnerable. And if you're not comfortable with being vulnerable, it's natural to create some anxieties, some tension, and some nerves within you. And now, I am getting into the questions that people wrote in. This says, where does the feeling of being anxious differ from having generalized anxiety? So, to this I would say, the feeling of anxiety, when it arises, we can usually name it as nerves, if it's in like a short-term moment. Or like, oh, I have an exam later, I'm nervous. Or like a big date. Like we'll conflate the feelings of nervousness with the feelings of anxiety and be like, oh my God, I'm so anxious today. When really, if you can point to what is making you anxious and it is a singular thing or like an event you can really name. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I'm anxious. And my friends are like, oh, why? And I'm like, God, just like lacrosse. And that is more of like, you can name it. The anxiety is a little bit more perpetual because it's my life right now. Or if I'm like, oh my God, I'm so anxious, and it's like, oh, about what? And I'm like, oh, it's about a speech I have to give in two hours. It's like, okay, no, those are nerves. And so that's maybe I'm feeling a little bit anxious but really what I'm experiencing there are nerves whereas if I'm just generally experiencing anxiety when I wake up and I can't really point to any one thing saying oh this is causing anxiety I have this later I need to do this I haven't done this yet then I probably need to take a beat and acknowledge if like this is something that is persistent and perpetual and holding me back from living my daily life because that I would say is more indicative of generalized anxiety. And what goes without saying I'm not qualified to make a distinction between nerves and anxiety for someone other than myself but I personally find that nerves usually have to do with some form of like short-term fear. So the moment of seeing someone new or an exam that'll be over by the end of the day whereas anxiety is like heavy it is perpetual and it usually hinges on some sort of fear that feels more existential in nature. Anxiety hinges on uncertainty whereas when I have a math exam I'm like, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm a little bit, I feel a little bit anxious, but I know that I'm going to like live through it. I know I'm going to feel fine. It's not going to challenge my sense of self this exam versus anxiety is more so like a feeling of dread, a feeling of heaviness. It's like, I can't get away from this. Like when I hand that test in that those nerves are gone. I know it's over. Whereas Anxiety can wake up with you and go to bed with you in the same day and that's really scary. And that's when I would say to go to someone, to ask for help, to seek treatment in some form. Next question. Somebody said, tips on anxiety when you're away from home. I think the number one thing here for finding solace or comfort when you're away from home is finding a setting or a community that feels like home. This would be a place where you feel seen, you feel known, and therefore you feel loved. So for me, that's like a lot of the coffee shops I go to. I'm a consistent customer at a lot of places in Nashville and I feel really, really great now because I go there and I know people and they know me and I feel known and I feel loved and i feel like they're excited to see me and i'm pumped to see them but it did take me time to create that community like it, it took me time to find community in nashville and when i got here and i didn't i hadn't been living here for 3 years i made an effort to find those places and to find places beyond like my team and and circles at vanderbilt that would make me feel seen and known and loved and i think when you're away from a home going out on a limb like putting yourself out there as long as you're Sa being safe of course is so productive going to a random workout class going and dming someone who seems like someone you'd be pals with on instagram and saying like hey you want to get coffee and making a friend we find home in familiarity we find home in security and safety and so manufacture that environment for yourself go out of your way make this year make the next three months your pursuit of finding community of finding friends of finding people and going out on a limb and doing things that you maybe wouldn't do when you're at home in a space that is familiar. And other than that, I think scheduling like a weekly call with people from home to ground yourself and ease discomfort because there's always gonna be an adjustment period when you enter a new place. And it doesn't mean that place isn't for you and it doesn't mean that place is gonna be your favorite place ever once you do adjust, but you don't wanna lose sight of the fact that friends exist, community exists, and loneliness is never going to be forever. It's never going to be permanent. And finding a time to call people who reinstill that belief in you and they're like, oh, they remind you like, oh, yeah, people that I love do exist. Good people exist. I have people and places that love me. And that is enough to encourage me to keep seeking out and pursuing community where I am now, even if that's not quote-unquote home yet. Also, tips on anxiety when away from home a lot of people, when I started college, would ask Sunday questions like, what do you do when you enter a new environment and you don't feel like it's familiar yet? And I always think about all the places that I have entered, like middle school or college or a new city and for the first time. And I remember like how lost I felt and how, and not lost like I didn't know who I was, but lost like where the fuck am I? Like what is this? I, I, I This feels so unfamiliar. Even the first time I got to Oahu, like I didn't really know what I was seeing I didn't know everything I was absorbing and now I go and I know it like the back of my hand and I know Vanderbilt like the back of my hand in my middle school I still remember how to get around but when I first entered those spaces I was terrified not so much the wahoo I was more excited but like I still didn't know it was unfamiliar and I now think about those things and I'm like oh my gosh wow I learned them so quickly and they learned me it feels like and you're always gonna establish those things you're going to find your favorite places you're going to find a place that feels like home and it and it really is a consequence of your pursuit of creating familiarity and creating consistency and developing a routine like establish a predictable routine wherever you are because so much of our anxiety comes from the fear of uncertainty like I've said probably a million times and when we're in a new place especially if it's one we're not familiar with we're naturally going to be anxious and kind of on edge because we're trying to figure out survival-wise, like, where do I go? What do I like? Who do I want to spend my time with? Where can I find community? Where can I feel welcomed? And it is your responsibility to pursue that. It's your responsibility to create that for yourself. And you can. And there's other people out there joining you in that. And I hope you don't lose faith in that. Like, don't lose sight of the fact that you have this amazing opportunity when you're at a new place, when you're away from home to learn more about yourself and to become an even more expanded version of yourself. So next question is, how to confront anxious thoughts surrounding performance? And this is funny. I love giving him shouts during these episodes because he thinks it's funny that I won't say his actual name. Um, But Flower Boy asked this, and ironically, he's the person I would ask this question to because it's his wheelhouse. So I'm not really sure if I'm going to do this question justice. But how I confront anxious thoughts surrounding performance is basically just like what is in my control what can I control how much can I control I can control how much I practice I can control how much I study I can control how I show up in the world there's a lot of things I can't control there's a lot of uncertainty but when it comes to performance whether that's athletic academic in your relationship I can only control so many things and controlling those things and instilling confidence in myself especially I think lacrosse wise this resonates because When I'm not practicing and doing the work I know I need to be doing, I know I'm not going to be showing up as the best player possible on the field or at practice. And I know I'm going to know that. Like, I can't lie to myself and say, I've done everything possible when I haven't. But when I work and I practice and I put in the extra time, that's when I feel most confident and I mitigate the anxious thoughts because I'm like, I know I did everything I could possibly do to get here. I know I did everything I could possibly do to prepare. And same goes for studying. I think obviously it differs a little bit with things that are different performance but like if you have a recital and you're a musician or you're a singer and you have a concert like everything you can do to prepare do it without burning yourself out ideally but that's how you create confidence keeping the promises to yourself and and telling yourself like I'm someone who is dedicated and then giving yourself a mountain of evidence as to why that is true that creates confidence and that mitigates anxious thoughts. Hopefully that sufficed. Next, anxious attachment style and how to deal with easily attaching to people. So, we've talked about anxious attachment styles on here before. An anxious attachment style is basically, for those of you who don't know, when you are living in a constant state in your relationships. Doesn't have to be romantic, often is romantic, also platonic. It stems from your relationship with your caregivers. But an anxious attachment style is basically, when you are constantly seeking kind of like intermittent validation you don't ever feel secure in your relationship and so you never really know when the next source of validation is going to come you never know when someone's going to tell you they love you or when someone's going to confirm that they love you to you or that they want you or they want to be with you or that they care about you that was just a shit ton of synonyms but truly that is what an anxious attachment style is and, and easily attaching to people I think is one thing If you really like someone and you just happen to get a good read on people pretty quickly and you're like, oh, I like this person, but that's one thing versus having an anxious attachment style, being aware of it, and you attach to someone and you're attaching to them because you're lacking something within you or you're, you feel like you're not enough and that they complete you in some way. That's different. That's different than feeling like, like I feel like in my relationship now, I feel like a really deep sense of wholeness in the relationship as a collective, but not because I wasn't complete before I was in this relationship. And I think everyone has moments and I'm going to use relationships just because I feel like that's the most pertinent people can resonate with it. But I think everyone has moments in a relationship where they're like overthinking something and they'll be like oh my god do you still like me or oh my god are you mad at me and uh, that's fine like every so often to be like just checking in like is everything okay but that also probably is a reflection of poor communication and so if you are someone who has an anxious attachment style I think tell your partner that or tell your friend that and be like I just get genuinely so anxious sometimes that you don't like me anymore that you don't like me or you don't want to be with me And it's not a function of our relationship, really. It's a function of how I was raised and my relationship with my parents or whatever. You don't necessarily have to say that. But acknowledging to your partner, like, sometimes I feel this way and it's something I want to talk about because I think what a lot of people with anxious attachment styles struggle with is that they let a lot of things, like, fester. And so instead of communicating something in the moment and maybe, like, you get a weird short text from someone or you get, like, a... You have a weird phone call with your partner and you hang up and you're like, oh my god, they hate me. Oh my god, I need them to tell me they love me right now, otherwise I won't believe that they love me. Even though you probably have a mountain of evidence proving why they do like you and why they do want to be with you and you're just in your head. But being able to over-communicate those things with your partner and, and having a partner who's willing to talk about those things and acknowledging that because... Your anxious attachment style isn't just going to disappear one day, but if you don't acknowledge it, if you don't work through it in therapy, if you don't bring it to the surface and unpack why your attachment style is that way, then you're never going to really kick it. It's always going to be there and you're never going to move away from needing that person's validation. And that's not just scary for you as someone who feels unworthy in some way. It's literally scary for the person that's with you because you can love someone so, so, so much, but you really can't be with someone long-term who is constantly unsure of how you feel about them if you have given them every reason to believe that you love them. It's just so difficult. And so I've never even really been in that situation. Frankly, I sounded like I had, but I think anxious attachment style is something that you can learn about. And that's something that I would say, research, 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 go to therapy, talk to someone about it, journal about it, do some shadow work. There is so much progress to be made. And I'm so proud of you for acknowledging that you have an anxious attachment style instead of just projecting it onto your partner, or your friends, or your caregivers. And uh, I'm not an expert. So that was my best shot at answering that, honestly. And it's actually a nice segue to the nice next question because the next question is how to avoid feeling anxious in relationships. And I've gotten so many questions about this over the past two years on Sunday questions like on my Instagram people asking me about feeling anxious in friendships and relationships and I think when you feel anxious in a friendship it's more so a reflection unless you're someone who you know has an anxious attachment style if you're feeling anxious in a friendship like does this person like me do they want to be my friend are they talking about me when I leave the room it probably is an indicator that it might not be the best friendship ever And I was talking about this the other day because I feel like although I'm not constantly at every event with my friends, I'm not always going out with them, I'm not doing every single thing with them by their side all day, when I am with my friends there is not a shadow of a doubt about how much I love them. Like they have not one inkling that I do not love them and that I will not always be there for them. But I had a moment with a friend the other day where I kind of was like why do I always feel anxious around this friend? Like I don't know why I'm always wondering if they're mad at me or if they don't like me anymore or if we're not really friends. And I just had this moment of being like, okay, well, probably isn't the best friendship in my life if I'm wondering those things. And then with relationships, like romantic relationships, communication is just so ridiculously important. And in my current relationship, it's long distance right now. And communication is key to having especially long distance, but also short distance, especially if you're someone who is like bashful about sharing your emotions with your partner or being vulnerable, regardless of your gender or your identity, whatever it is. Like everyone of all roles in relationships has moments where they're like, I feel weird sharing this emotion or this fear about the relationship or this anxiety. And when you get to a point where you feel strongly enough about someone that you're willing to put a lot of your heart into it and it's like you are literally putting your heart in someone else's hands that is so incredibly vulnerable and it is so ridiculously beautiful and special that we get to do this as humans and so i've had a lot of conversations with my mom about this of being like wow feeling this way about someone is literally terrifying what what is that and everyone always says like love is like jumping off a cliff or whatever But it is scary to have such strong feelings about someone and really say like, here's my heart, please take care of it and please treat it gently when you don't have that control, that certainty of of what someone else will do because you can't control someone else, no matter how hard you try. My friends who are fixers are trying to control their partners or friends. Stop that. And I found in doing distance especially and also just like communicating different feelings throughout my relationship, It's so important to just be clear, clear as kind. And also, it is your responsibility to communicate your feelings. It's not my partner's fault if I don't tell him how I feel about something, especially if it upsets me. Like, if something upsets me or bothers me, it's not on him to say, hey, is this bothering you? Or hey, are you okay? It's on me to say, to be a big girl or a big boy or a big person and put on girl pants and say hey can we talk about this I don't want to let it fester it's bothering me and I want to confront it now I want to say yes it might feel like you're being high maintenance or confrontational but it shows that you care enough about the relationship to want to confront those things so that they don't down the line break the relationship I can't think of anything more upsetting than letting like pride or ego or fear get in the way of an amazing relationship and so Be honest with people about your feelings. And it doesn't mean you have to go around being like, I'm upset, this, that, that, projecting onto everyone. But when you have a feeling, especially if you're in a relationship, it is not, repeat after me, it is not my partner's responsibility to read my mind. It's never gonna work. And you never want to get like 10 years into a relationship with someone and be like, I got mad at you for this, you didn't know. That's not their fault. You have to tell them. If you're upset, you have to tell them. And Ideally, you would have a rational reasoning for that feeling, um, but give them a chance to talk about it. And so that's how I avoid anxious attachments in relationships, anxious anxiety in relationships. Like if I'm having an anxiety about my relationship, I would just go to my partner and be like, hey, I feel really anxious about this. I feel anxious about how I'm feeling. I feel anxious about X, Y, Z. Can we talk about it? Can we break it down? Because I don't want this feeling anymore I don't want to sit with this and if they're a great partner they will sit down with you and they will talk through you with that because it is the end of the day a partnership next is the last question and I love this question I was really glad somebody asked it because I think it's an important distinction to make which is that how does one make the distinction between gut feelings and anxiety so like anxiety versus intuition like you have this gut feeling that you're supposed to leave the party you have this gut feeling whatever versus anxiety so anxiety i would say different than intuition is accompanied by like a physical feeling obviously it activates your um, nervous system and when your sympathetic nervous system is kind of going crazy that's when you're like okay this is anxiety Versus intuition comes from a calm and mindful state. So it's not emotional and it's therefore objective to the energy or the messages that come through. Like anxiety is a screaming, vibrating, unbalanced force. And it sends people into a state where they're like, their heart is racing and their nerves are going crazy. Whereas when you have like a gut feeling about something and that intuition is just like, oh, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. It's not accompanied by like fear or terror. Versus if you're in a parking lot late at night and you have this quote-unquote gut feeling that you're not supposed to be there. That's probably anxiety. And that is actually the most productive form of anxiety because it is doing what it's supposed to do, which is helping you survive. Like you could very well be in danger if you were alone in a dark parking lot at night. And that doesn't mean you had a gut feeling to leave. It means you had anxiety in your brain read the situation and told you to get out. And then also intuition focuses on the present. It's like, wow, in this present moment, I feel this way, I feel very secure, I feel intuitive, I feel right about this. Versus anxiety focuses on the future. We've talked about that a bunch. Anxiety also feels like dread, whereas intuition feels peaceful, it feels reassuring, anxiety feels like poking the bear. And then, like I said, in an emergency situation, your gut feeling is probably a function of anxiety, which is productive, and if you want to listen to a really good episode on reframing anxiety whitney cummings on ed my let podcast phenomenal talks about anxiety and she was great okay you guys i have a sunset walk to go on and it's getting a little bit late it's 6 30 and i'm so we're an hour and a half in i'm really pumped about this episode i'm so excited to edit it and today was good today felt like i processed a lot and i love you guys i'm really glad we had this chat and i cannot wait to see you guys next week on Sunday questions. Okay, I'm going to stop doing that. Love you guys. Have a great, great, great week.